Welcome to the Fresh Start Church Podcast, where we exist to influence a nation with revival. Here you'll find preached messages from our pastors. We pray that the spirit of revival is imparted to you as you listen. To watch live, check us out on YouTube or visit our website at freshstartaz.com. And to stay connected with us, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Near but far. Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. And the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but remove their hearts and their minds far from me, near but far. And their fear and their reverence for me are a commandment of men that is learned by repetition without any thought as to the meaning. If I could read this to you from the message and a couple of other translations that may not be on the screen. These people make a big show of saying the right thing, but their hearts are not in it because they act like they're worshiping me, but they don't mean it. And I'm going to step in and shock them awake. I'm going to astonish them and stand them on their ears. It's the message translation or rendering. Another translation says, the Lord says, the Lord says, fresh start. These people come to honor me with words, but I'm not really important to them. The worship they give me is nothing but human rules that they have memorized. Passion translation. The people honor me only with their words for their hearts are so very distant from me. They pretend to worship me, but their worship is nothing more than the empty traditions of men. Near but far. Near but far. I can read the Amplified one more time. Is it put on the screen, please? For as much as this people draw near me, the Lord said with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but remove their hearts and their minds far from me. And their fear and their reverence for me are a commandment of men that is learned by repetition without any thought as to the meaning. Allow me to say a couple more things and a couple more scriptures and I'll let you be seated this morning. Near but far. Near but far. David Ravenhill, the son of Leonard Ravenhill, said this, A far country is not measured by distance, but by desire. You can be in the front row of a church pew and be in a far country. Near, but far. Joshua chapter 7, verse 1, and then I will read Acts chapter 5, and I will get back to these scriptures later. We're going to walk through the Bible this morning in the next few moments that we have. We're going to see what the Lord says and how the heart of the Lord feels about being near yet far. Near yet far. But the Israelites did not obey God. There was a man. There was a man from the tribe of Judah, well, named Achan. And Achan kept some things that should have been destroyed. So the Lord became very angry with the Israelites. And you'll see in a moment as I, as I tell this story that 36 men died because of Achan. And 
A nation was defeated right after a great victory because of one man who should have destroyed, should have not taken things that should have been destroyed. Acts chapter 5, there was a man named Ananias. So we have Achan and we have Ananias, fresh start. His wife's name was Sapphira. And Ananias sold some land that he had and he gave only part of it, near but far. He gave the money to the apostles, near but far. But he secretly kept some of the money for himself. And Peter said, Ananias, why did you let Satan fill your mind with such an idea? Near but far. You lied to God, Ananias, not us. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and he died. That's New Testament. So I've given you Old Testament and I've given you New Testament near but far. The highest responsibility that your pastor and I and this pastoral staff have is to help you fall in love with Jesus Christ. Everything else is peripheral. When you or I start doing things, doing things outside of that central principle that I am madly in love with Jesus Christ, when we start doing things outside of that principle, you are near, but you are far. No matter what your lot has been in life, no matter your background, no matter your family trauma, no matter your family traditions, be they good, be they righteous, be they bad, be they evil, if you were raised in prosperity or you were raised in poverty, choices of right or choices of wrong that have marked your path to get you where you are today, the absolute only thing that matters in this life right now, right now, and for the next life, because there is a next life, is that you intimately know Jesus Christ, not only as Savior, but as Lord. When you stand before him on the day of judgment, nothing will be hidden. And after that, it is heaven or hell, my friend. So basically, you can choose to hold on to your trauma and your hurt and you can let it run and ruin your life. Or you can give it all to Jesus now and allow a supernatural healing process to bring you life more abundantly right now. When you stand before Jesus, you're not going to be able to say, I had cyclical sin and I had cyclical carnality because of my childhood trauma and because of a failed marriage. Jesus will look at you and he will put out his hands and he will show you the holes in his hands and the scar on his side and he will say this was enough to heal you. There is no excuse. 
excuse to live in sin and carnality. The cross is enough. Near but far. Why do you talk like that? I believe in deliverance. I believe in process of deliverance. But what I am seeing across the body of Christ is that the devil is taking something that can be a process of deliverance and healing from the cross and he's turning it and he's twisting it because it's the only thing he knows how to do and he's causing people to believe that they can walk in a lifelong cyclical pattern of carnality and sin with the under the guise that I'm going through deliverance and I'm going through healing. will tell you if they're telling the truth that you need to get free from that thing and when the sun sets you free you are free indeed you cannot live in cyclical sin and expect to make heaven but he'll allow you to come near but be very far Because a far country is not measured by distance, it's measured by desire. You can be on the front row of the church and be in a far country. Father, I pray that over these next few moments you would order my words. Let everyone in this room be gripped not by Kim's voice, but by the voice of the Holy Spirit and the living word of God. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Please be seated. In Isaiah chapter 29, the first scripture that I read to you, Isaiah is prophesying against Jerusalem. And by extension of that, he is prophesying against the rest of Judah. I'm going to give you a little bit of Bible story for the next few moments, and then I'm going to give you Kim's story. Come on, somebody. I'm going to give you Kim's commentary by unction of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah is prophesying against Jerusalem and then Judah. He predicts judgment on the kingdom due to their sin. Judgment that will come through invading armies. In the middle of Isaiah's prophecy, he diagnoses Judah's problem of hypocrisy, which is bringing about their judgment. And he says this, These people come near me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they have been taught. While the Israelites were saying the right things, their hearts were far from God. They were near, yet they were far. The word heart is a common metaphor, a figure of speech, a representative word, if you will, a symbolic word. In English, the word heart is often representing someone's emotions. When we say someone has a heart of stone, we mean that he is unmoved or uh, uh, by emotional appeals. But in the ancient Israelite uh, uh, time, uh, the word heart was used metaphorically uh, as the center of someone's soul, the place where they make all decisions and experience all of their emotions. The heart was the location of one's will and one's intellect. Therefore, when the Bible 
commands us to love something with all of our hearts, it means that we are loving with everything that we have on the inside. When God said that their hearts are far from me, he meant that they had chosen other loyalties beside God. While they might have sounded religious, they did not love God or they did not obey God because if you do not obey God, you cannot love God near but far. Their thoughts and their decisions, their thought processes that bore out their decisions were bent away from God and leading them away from God. They were doing all of the correct external things, but their actions and their attitudes, even even, even some of their uh, 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 language was showing that they were moving far away from God because their hearts were not in it. In July... Uh, uh, of this year, 2022, last month, um, and I want, you, I want you to recognize the month there. In July, this was prior, we were still finishing year seven of uh, revival. Uh, we were yet to cross over into year eight, uh, which we are in now of sustained revival. I had a, what I believe is a prophetic warning dream. Occasionally, I will have these in times past over the years. I have shared some of these in my messages. Many times I do not. Sometimes I may preach from the revelation that comes from them, but I do believe that we have to be very careful to only use a dream, are you with me, uh, to preach from, but I do believe definitely that the Lord causes uh, especially prophetic watchmen uh, to dream and to see visions, to understand uh, as the sons of Issachar uh, uh, and discern the seasons and discern the times. And so with that said, I believe this was a prophetic warning dream, and this is how the dream went last month, July of 2022. I was with someone, I didn't know who that person was, but we made our way to a house, and it seemed to be a rental type of house, possibly a uh, vacation rental. Uh, somehow, we had a connection to this house, like we had been here before. Um, somehow, uh, uh, it just seemed like, like it was familiar. I think that is important because I use the word familiar. Uh, everybody say, we've been here before. Look at your neighbor and say, we've been here before. Unfortunately, what I'm preaching about today, we've been here before. Near but far. And so... Um, throughout the dream, I felt very uneasy, uh, like, like we shouldn't be there. And we began to do activities in the home, this person and I, and we were going from room to room, and it was indistinguishable what those activities were. We were going from room to room, and there was just, we're doing something in the rooms, but I couldn't tell in the dream exactly what we were doing, but from room to room to room, we were doing something in the room. We made our way through the rooms and then to the kitchen. And we moved something, I moved something in the kitchen and a large spider crawls out from under the item that I moved. 
I then, still in the kitchen, opened what seemed to be a dishwasher with two components, a top component uh, like most dishwashers and a bottom very deep, very deep. It was a very deep bottom uh, compartment. And I opened the dishwasher and I'm looking and at first could not tell, but I looked more intently and in the bottom very deep compartment was a very large pig, dead like you would see being roasted whole with the head, the body, everything. This was pretty much the dream. I know that's pleasant this morning. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching to you about near but far. In dream language, this dream is very important, I believe, to what I'm preaching. I know it is this morning because in dream language, a house can represent an individual or a church. The kitchen represents, because the kitchen is called the heart of the house, the kitchen represents the heart. A spider represents an issue or a stronghold, a lie, a deception or a deceiver, a clever one. A pig represents sin, an unclean heart and demons. A dishwasher stands for the Holy Spirit that is cleansing hearts. I'm preaching on near but far. The house that we were in, I felt extremely uncomfortable. And I want to reiterate that it was a rental. It was a rental house. And I knew that we had been here before, but that we shouldn't be here again. It was specifically, I believe, a rental house because when you rent something, and I realize in the natural some have to do this, but when you rent something, you as a renter are under no obligation. You only pay to stay. And it is temporary until you find something else. We're in a rental where I knew we had been before and I knew we shouldn't be there again because it was familiar. When you rent something, you're under no obligation to take care of it. You're under no obligation to have possession of anything because that belongs to the owner. You live there, you stay there, but you have no burden. You have no responsibility for the house, for the heart. You have no concern. As we moved about this house, we ended up in the kitchen or the heart, and it was in the heart that I began to move things and to open things, which brought exposure to issues and strongholds and sin and uncleanliness and deceitfulness. As far as I can remember in the dream, the external house and even on the internal of the house, as far as the things that were in the house, everything looked regular. Everything looked functioning. It looked like a functioning house with all of the external things that needed to be, quote, a house. Extremely, everything looked extremely well. But as we began to go from room to room, room to room, room to room, specifically when we got to the heart, exposure happened. And the dishwasher or the Holy Spirit revealed that there were unclean things in the heart. Near, but far. In the New Testament, 
Jesus quotes what I just read from you a few moments ago in Isaiah 29, 13. So lest you think it's only Old Testament, Jesus is quoting this. And he was confronting the Pharisees in Mark chapter 7, other places probably too in the Gospels, because they had hearts that were far from God. The Pharisees pretended to care about God's law by following outward acts like hand washing, but they did not care about God on the inside. And even when they met God in the person of Jesus Christ, they tried to kill him. So after quoting Isaiah 29, 13, Jesus very harshly, did you hear me? Jesus very harshly summarized their heart condition and said this, you have let go of the commands of God and you are holding on to human traditions. May I pause and say this, that even in a revival culture, even in a revival church, you can make human traditions. The Pharisees still did their religious things, but they had forgotten the reason behind their actions. They said the right things, but their hearts were far from God. They were near, but they were very far. A caution to those who serve in this house every week. You can die spiritually sitting behind a camera a keyboard or kids care. Checking external boxes does not equate to intimacy with Jesus in your heart. Leave that up there. Near but far. Unless you go and try to find out something wrong with the keyboard player, the camera holder, or the kids care person, I use those once again as a metaphor because it can also be the one standing behind the pulpit, the podium, or on a platform, my friend. Checking external boxes does not equate to intimacy with Jesus in your heart. Near, but far. I've got a lot to cover, but I want to reiterate what I said a few moments ago. Our highest responsibility is to help you fall in love with Jesus. When you or I start doing things outside of that central principle, we are near, but we are very far. Mm. Sometimes it is easy to maintain the external appearance or religious of religious obedience by following basic rules, yet we lack any real relationship with God in our hearts. We go through the motions without growing in love for God or for others. We might faithfully go to church every Sunday, but ignore God the rest of the week. Like the Pharisees and the ancient Israelites, they were faking it. It's faking it is not spiritually healthy because it will eventually catch up with us. I can preach with or without an amen this morning. Because I know this is the word of the Lord. Isaiah 29, 13 is a stark reminder that external obedience only cannot please God. God wants true righteousness. God wants you and I to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. An acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings or external duties. And I want to add that revival is about encounter. All revivals are about encounter. Listen to me but revival must 
must be under transformation, which is a process by discipleship. A thousand trips to the altar, getting the same encounter without surrender will not kill the spider and get rid of the pig. Lest you miss it, I say it again. A thousand trips to the altar getting the same encounter but without surrender will not kill the spider and get rid of the pig. Truth must grip your heart and love has to grip your emotion for Jesus and his word. And the core of who you are must embrace that this is not just another trip to the altar, but this is a total life change and surrender. And anything less than that, you are near, but you are very far. Some of you are taking your encounter and you're trying to make a ministry out of it. But you haven't surrendered. You have a testimony and now you want to travel the world. But you haven't surrendered. I'll say it again. Some of you are taking your encounter and you want to make a ministry out of it. But you haven't surrendered. There's a spider, there's a pig. You got a testimony, that's awesome. But that doesn't mean you travel the world. There has to be a surrender. What is surrender? Surrender means that you cease resisting the Holy Spirit to get into the bottom compartment of your heart. Surrender is that I submit. There's the word. I submit. I abandon myself entirely. You see, the devil, if you move out in this, you have an encounter, but there has not been a surrender. Let me tell you, if you step out into something that you say God has called you to do, the devil's going to eat your lunch. You trust me in this. How do you know? Because he's in the bottom of your heart. You come near, but you're far. So I turn to another person in our storyline. I return now to Aiken. Man, I'm doing really good on time this morning. I turn to another person in our storyline. I turn to Aiken. Aiken is referred to as the troubler of Israel. This is the Bible story. I'm getting ready to explain to you. He broke faith in the matter of devoted things. When Achan was unfaithful in regard to the devoted things, the wrath came upon the whole community. The wrath of God came upon the whole community, the whole army, the whole nation, the whole, whole of Israel. So who was this troubler named Achan and what did he do? God had delivered Jericho into the hands of the Israelites, Joshua chapter six. And after Jericho, we love to preach about Jericho. Chapter six. I'm here to preach about chapter seven. We love crossing over. Oh, you better bet I'm gonna go there. They had been instructed to destroy everything in the city with the exception of Rahab and her family as well as the gold, the silver, the bronze, and the iron, everything. The metals 
the gold, all that, was to go into the tabernacle, the treasury of the tabernacle. You can read it in, in the book of Joshua. Because they were sacred to the Lord, devoted to him. Jericho was to be totally destroyed and the Israelites were to take no spoil. They were to take, they were to take no plunder for themselves. Shortly after their success at Jericho, the Israelites then, they had, they had victory, army, war, we won. Mm. And then they moved to Ai. Because that was the next enemy that had to be defeated. It was a threshold crossing moment. And much to the shock of the Israelites who had just taken Jericho, they shouted and the walls came down. They were chased out of Ai. 36 of them were killed. And God said, Joshua, now listen to this. He said, Joshua, some Israelites have sinned by taking the devoted things. So Joshua went from tribe to tribe to family to family, room to room to room to heart. And he came to Achan. Things were moved, things were opened, God exposed Achan. Achan confessed his sin, admitting that while he was in Jericho, after the victory, that he saw a robe and some money and some gold, and he coveted it, and he took it, and he hid it, and he dug a hole in the tent, and he hid it. It just so happens that the robe that he took was a Babylonian robe. You may not remember the last time, I think it was, that I preached here. I told you that Babylon is very seductive. And the book of Revelation says, come out of her. But the robe that he took, my friends, was a Babylonian robe, which stands for captivity, fornication, idolatry, harlotry, a habitation of devils. It is synonymous with seduction and the luring away of the heart from a devotion and a covenant. This is what Achan took. Hit it. He was near, but he was far. So what happened? This is Old Testament. They stoned him and his children, and his animals, and they burned them all. They burned his tent, and the plunder that he had taken, and all that he had, the Bible says, and they burned them in what the Bible calls the Valley of Achor, or the Valley of Trouble. The pile of stones was left there as a reminder of Achan's sin and the high cost of not obeying the Lord. It is incredible to think that in the atmosphere of triumph, in the atmosphere of the middle of victory, that one can create a valley of trouble by one decision of disobedience. Sin is never an isolated event, my friend. It has a ripple effect. It does not just touch you. It touches others around you. 
Achan's sin led to the death of 36 of his fellow soldiers and a defeat for an entire army. We can always be sure that our sins will find us out. And hiding the evidence in our tents will not conceal it from God because the Holy Spirit will cause you to go from room to room to room to room until finally it's exposed. Near but far. I pause to say this morning that I understand the gripping atmosphere in this place and I do not apologize for it whatsoever because our highest responsibility is to help you fall in love with Jesus Christ. Leonard Ravenhill says, and I quote, let no man think of fighting hell's legions if he is still fighting an internal warfare. Carnage without will sicken him if he has carnality within. It is the man who has surrendered to the Lord who will never surrender to his enemies. Revival is going from room to room to room to room until finally it gets to the heart. You see, Achan's sin was grave. He took what was God's. Achan's sin was a clear and a willful violation of a direct order. And he brought trouble on the entire camp of Israel. He was given time to repent on his own. He could have come forward at any time. He could have come forward before the threshold crossing. He could have come forward before Jericho. He could have come forward, yet he chose to wait through the casting of lots rather than admit that his guilt and rather than admit his guilt and call on the mercy of God or at least demonstrate reverence for God. You see, Achan attempted to hide the sin, and Proverbs 28 says, Whoever can seals their sin, does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces his sin finds mercy. It's time to find mercy this morning. It's time to find mercy. You cannot keep living, coming near, but living far. I'm telling you, in seven years of sustained revival, we have seen it over and over and over, and we will keep preaching like I am preaching this morning to give another chance, to give a second chance, and I have seen people walk in and walk out and and sometimes it took them months and even years before the final room of the heart was exposed and the drawer pulled open. Yet they walk out the door and didn't choose mercy. They went on at another place pretending they were near while staying very far. Achan not only dis disobeyed a direct order, but he stole from God. And then he covered it up, which is the same thing that Ananias and Sapphira did in Acts chapter 5. And the similar warning was, you're not lying to us, Ananias. You're not lying to us, Peter said. You're lying to God. I will say it again. I will say it again. You're not lying to us. You're lying to God. Near but far. Why Achan's entire family got destroyed, a little difficult to understand, but one person has said perhaps it was uh, a demonstration of just how pure the Israelites needed to be to take what God needed them to take. I'll try it again. Perhaps it was a demonstration of just how pure the Israelites needed to be in order for them to take what God needed them to take. In the midst of revival, sin 
can arise in your heart. Near, but far. James says each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, remember a far country is not distance, but desire. Are you with me? Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown. It is very important to notice that these incidents happened after the crossing over into the promised land. Achan was a part of that crossing. Are you with me? Are you with me? Are you with me? Achan was a part of that crossing over. Achan walked from one side of the Jordan to the other side of the Jordan, across the threshold. If we say it around here, he walked through the door. He celebrated the victory of a generation making it to the promised land. The next season, the next phase. But this crossing over was very different from anything that had been previously led by Moses in the wilderness. Joshua is now the leader. He is leading in the spirit of Moses, but it is with a more militant mantle. Are you with me, Fresh Start? It is with a more militant mantle because of the scope of the assignment that lie ahead. There were kings and kingdoms that had been established in the land that needed to be defeated in order to fully establish God's purpose for that nation. Consecration, motivation, zeal, unity, focus. We're at an all-time high. Joshua had rallied the people. He had mobilized the troops and the people. And first of all, the enemy of Jericho is taking out, is taken out. And all of this brought victory with the help of the Lord and the obedience of the people. Every king and every kingdom was before them. But what Achan didn't realize is that every king and every kingdom required a fresh consecration, a focused obedience and a pure motivation. Achan was riding on the motivation and the momentum from Jericho, from the last king and the last kingdom. And what Achan did was he brought a familiarity of the last season into the new season. I'll say it again. He brought a familiarity of the last season into the new season. I was in the dream and I was in the house and I was uneasy because it was like we had been here before. The desert had taught them perseverance and protocol, but the promised land was going to teach them principle and personal obedience. What lived in the desert would have to die in the new land. It was time to grow up. It was time to surrender. There was no more cloud. There was no more fire. And there was no more manna. It's time to grow up. You cannot take what was in the desert into the promised land. a tragic loss of innocent people due to one man's familiarity with the requirements of battle but lacking the humility to obey after the battle and it replayed again and again even all the way to Acts chapter 5 it's time to grow up it says it's time to grow up I start, there's no more cloud there's no more fire there's no more manna I'll get back to that in a moment I said it Wednesday night for those of you who were here after the live stream. I don't want to get beat up because of your compromise. Come on, somebody. 
I'm giving you Bible to back that statement. I don't want to get beat up because of your compromise, because your compromise is affecting your atmosphere. Your compromise is affecting your family's atmosphere. And your compromise is affecting this atmosphere. You see, sin in the camp created a breach. Sin in the camp created a breach. And innocent people were getting hurt. Are you with me? You, you, you know the phrase familiarity breeds contempt. Familiarity means that you are relaxed. A, a friendly, relaxed friendliness. Does that describe a lot of people's relationship with Jesus? I'll repeat again. Our highest responsibility is to help you fall in love with Jesus Christ. Nothing else. Fall in love with Jesus Christ. But familiarity breeds contempt. Familiarity is a relaxed friendliness. You're near, but you're far. There's a big difference in a relaxed church and a resting church, my friend. And when I say church, I'm not just talking about fresh start. I'm talking about the church. There's a big difference in a relaxed church, a relaxed friendliness and a resting church. The book of Hebrews tells us that we are to enter a rest, the rest of God. That is means that we are entering into a healing. We are entering into a trust factor of our God. But a relaxed church is one that operates in passivity in the spirit while they're busy doing things in the natural. Familiarity breeds contempt. Extensive knowledge or close association with something leads to a loss of respect for it. Familiar, familiar, familiar. Y'all, knowledge without intimacy equals casualties. That's what happened to the Pharisees. Near but far, near but far. Aiken. Ananias. The Holy Spirit said this to me. Familiarity, tell them, Kim, familiarity causes vulnerability. When you're vulnerable, it means there's a breach. There's a gap in the wall of defense or there's a failure to agree. There's a breach. It's an open opportunity for the devil to enter. You get beat up and others die. Because familiarity causes vulnerability. Now the breach is going to sooner or later be uncovered. Dishwasher, pig, box, spider. It's going to be uncovered. And God will move his army to victory. We see this with AI. But between the breach and the victory, there is a burden of the compromise that must be carried the one who is compromising. And the one who carries that is not the one that is compromising, but the ones who are sacrificing, my friend. Please understand the danger of a breach to you, to your family, to others, to the army. Because familiarity causes comfortability. There is a great difference, as I said, in a relaxed Christian and a resting Christian. Passivity drives one. Trust and healing drives the other. And any passivity creates an atmosphere where compromise and carnality can grow. <clears throat> passivity. Passivity. Aiken became familiar 
with a victorious atmosphere, not realizing that he was near, but he was far. Achan had all of the exterior boxes checked. However, he was near, but he was far. The Bible doesn't give us details to where Achan dropped the ball. We know, we know that he had to march seven times because all of them had to march seven times. A hundred percent of them had to march seven times around Jericho. We know Achan was in that. Check. He shouted loud like the other ones. Check. He listened to the same ram's horn, which I'm going to get back to in a moment, over and over and over. He submitted to the external demands. Check. Yet something in Achan's heart allowed him to justify taking the accursed things and hiding them, things that belong to God. Thus, a personal compromise became a corporate demise, casualty due to compromise. I don't mind if it's quiet, y'all, honestly. I don't mind. I don't mind. Because I know this is the word of the Lord. I know this is the word of the Lord. How does a breach occur? For one, responsibilities have to grow when you cross the threshold, my friend. It increases. I summarize Joshua 5 verse 12. Manna from heaven stopped coming. And from that time on, the Israelites did not get manna from heaven. This is well before Jericho and Ai. Israel crosses the Jordan, sets up the memorial stones, they circumcise the generation, and the provision from the last season dried up to teach them how to gain greater provision for the current season. You bring your secret place into this place. Your secret place is what people see and what they hear and observe. It's not your outward actions. It's not your performance. Our highest responsibility is to help you fall in love with Jesus Christ. You can ride on performance. Look, look, y'all. You can ride on performance for a while. But in revival, sooner or later... Some things start getting moved. Some things start getting open. Performance cannot keep you there, my friend. Seven times around Jericho did not keep Achan from taking something. Shouting as loud with the rest of them did not keep Achan from taking something that belonged to God. Hearing the ram's horns, which I'll explain to you the significance of that in just a moment. And I know that the one was blown at the beginning of this service, which I appreciate those who did that. Because you're going to understand the significance and the report, uh, the importance of that. Achan heard all of this, saw all of this, and participated in, to in this. And was performing along with all of this. But yet still, before he left that city, just directly disobeyed God. Why? Because there was something that was not right in the bottom compartment of his heart. 
So when you cross over, how does this breach occur? Because when you cross over, there is an increase in growth and an increase in responsibility. The manna has dried up from the last season. Come on. I said the manna has dried up from the last season. There's got to be a personal experience in digging out and planting and sowing and cultivating and caring for your heart in this present season. At some point, there will be a confrontation to the carnality because you never externally graduate from the level of your internal secret place. Come on. I will say it again. You never externally graduate from the level of your internal secret place. Your secret place affects the rest of the army, everybody. And let me tell you this, a secret place, and for those of you who don't understand what that is, it is your personal time with God. It is your time when you and Jesus get together and you worship and you pray and you read his word and you grow intimate with him. This is your secret place outside of this place. But you can't go up in your secret place and manipulate God because you want something externally. So I'm just... It's just a matter of time, Ananias. It's just a matter of time. Your secret place affects the rest of the army. Is there a breach? Is there a breach? Is there a breach? Is there a breach? breach? If so, you're not the one that's carrying that breach. It's the army that's carrying the breach. You're affecting the atmosphere of your family. Affecting the atmosphere of your life. You're affecting this atmosphere. The message that I preach apprehended by God in our last door weekend. I gave the scripture Philippians 3. I press on towards the goal of the supreme heavenly prize to which God in Christ Jesus is calling us upward. Now, I didn't deal with verse 15. And this is the verse that I want to tag onto this message today. I did not deal with verse 15. Paul goes on to say, he says it's an upward call, but verse 15 says, look, So let all of those of us who are spiritually mature and full grown have this mind and hold these convictions. Have this mind. What mind? The mind of the upper call. The mind of the convictions that the only thing that matters in eternity is that I have truly cultivated an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ that has affected every single part of my heart. External things will follow, but the internal is going to be revealed sooner or later. And he says, if you have a different mind, God will make it clear to you. Paul is distinguishing between the mature and the immature. In case you're mad at me today, come on. I'm good with that. Honestly, I'm good with that. I mean, I seriously love you all. That's why I'm preaching like this to you. I don't want a full building full of dead hearts. I don't want a full building full of passivity. God has got an assignment on this revival. God has got an assignment on this house. So we have to preach like this to open up the deception of the enemy, not to embarrass you, not to make you mad, but yes, to make you uncomfortable. Because if we let you stay in your comfort, there's 10,000 churches in this city that you can go to next Sunday and you will feel comfortable with your pornography. You will feel comfortable with your sin. You will feel comfortable with, your, with, with, with all of your...
Lord Jesus, they would have gotten really uncomfortable if I had talked that straight to them. He will look at me. He will look at me and he will say, is my blood not enough? Is my broken body not enough? Did I not do enough? You shame the cross when you don't talk about repentance. You shame the cross when you don't talk about repentance. You shame the cross when you don't talk about consecration. You shame the cross when you don't talk about holiness. Too many people out there worried about being so hard on people. And look what the fruit is, my friend. Look what the fruit is. Paul's saying here's mature people. And here's immature. And what he's saying about the immature people is they can't see. They can't see. He said, you have a different attitude of mind. God's going to make it clear to you. The message rendering says something less than total commitment and God will clear your blurred vision. If any of you have something else in mind, something less than total commitment, message rendering, God will clear your blurred vision. Immature can't see. Your relationship with God is very holy. It's holy. And your relationship with God is the only thing that's going into eternity. Now you look at me. He looks at us to occupy this space called time. He looks at us to occupy this earth that he has created for us. He looks for us. We are his hands and his feet extended in this earthly realm. There are things that, yes, we have to do but he does not want his church doing them and yet being far from him. Doing them yet being far from him. The Bible is clear that he's looking at your heart. Matthew 7, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. He who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And many are going to say to me on that day, Lord, have, listen to this, Have we not prophesied in your name? I am going to say that one again. Many will say to me on that day, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not driven out demons in your name? Have we not done mighty works? Work, 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 works in your name. And then I will say to them openly and publicly, Publicly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who act wickedly, disregarding my commands. And I add, you have come near, but you were far. You see, lordship is something that must be dealt with before you can cross thresholds, my friend. You can look like it, but something is going to be moved and something is going to be opened. And it will be revealed, Achan. It will be revealed, Ananias. If not, there's going to be a compromise at Jericho and a defeat at Ai. You've all heard this this thing said, salvation is free, but spiritual maturity is earned. Let me do this quickly. Man, I'm doing amazing on time. Matthew 13. Look, y'all, look. What about the seed that fell on the good ground? That is like the people who hear the teaching and they understand it. What about the... What about the seed that's on a good ground? They grow and produce a good crop. Sometimes a hundred times more, 60 or 30. I ask us today, Fresh Start Revival, what's our measure? 
What are you shooting for? Come on, Revival family. I say anything less than a hundred times more. Come on. With the assignment that God has is going to leave a breach. Near but far. This must grip us this side of eternity. Are you hearing me? I said this must grip us this side of eternity. Because, because here's the thing. Here's the thing. Is that our spiritual development begins with the roots of the, of, of our, of the ground in our current environment. So many people may have the view that on my way to heaven, I'm going to be changed into this spiritual giant. I'm going to be a mature saint on the way up to heaven. And yet you stay immature baby down here on this earth. That is not so, my friend. What you are now is what you will be then. Oh, talk to me, fresh start. What you are now, stop wasting your time on frivolous, trivial, non-essential activities of the flesh and the carnality of the mind. Get your house in order. God is getting ready to go from room to room to room until he gets to the heart and pulls it open so you can see what is really in there while you've been near but very far do not neglect a great salvation work out your salvation you see the Lord is using his plow to toil our heart uh, the soil uh, excuse me to, to turn the soil of our hearts right now and what happens now in this present earth it turns everything upside down and this enables the Lord to get to the inner problems that are buried deep down on the inside of us and right there he is able to change us at the very core of our being but you and I have to rightly respond and cooperate with with him if not we do not make it into maturity and we stay an immature babe acting like with all of the external things like we're fully mature but it's only a matter of time breaches occur when we hollow that which is unholy You cannot continue to dismiss the dynamics that are compromising your convictions near but far. Hallelujah. So, <clears throat> you have to grow and increase as you cross. And then there's the ram's horns, the sound of the call. It was striking to me in Joshua chapter 6 how many times the ram's horn is mentioned. The priests were blowing the trumpets before the army and behind the army. At the instruction to shout came the blowing of the horn. The sound was penetrating. It was undeniable. It was definitive. The sound of the call of the purpose of the Lord it was the directive to the army of the Lord. The ram's horn set the pace, the cadence, and the agenda. Yet in the midst of all of that, Achan's heart was far from the Lord. Joshua chapter 6. One loud noise from the trumpets. When you hear that noise, tell the people to begin shouting. And when you do this, the walls of the city are going to fall and your people will be able to go straight into the city. 
Now we've got to assume, as I mentioned, alluded to earlier, that Achan obeyed all of these commands because it was 100% participation here. Nobody could opt out. Six days of submission. Think about that. Miracle sign and wonder. Come on, somebody. And one of the directives was they couldn't talk. Another miracle sign and wonder. Think of the intense atmosphere as they are walking around the walls of Jericho. And Achan is part of it. Stay with me. Stay with me. Do you realize that it is entirely possible to be faithful but not loyal or pure? Somebody who's faithful is reliable. But loyalty is allegiance, my friend. And purity means that you're free from mixture. You're free from spiders and pigs. It's entirely possible to be faithful, but not be loyal, allegiance, or pure free from mixture. Do you see how it increases in intensity and sacrifice? And just because the external, doing all of the commands correctly, doesn't mean that internally you're being loyal or that you are pure. It's true of Achan. He did all the Jericho requirements. If he didn't do all the Jericho requirements, we wouldn't be hearing about him in chapter 7. But before he made it out of Jericho, amid the blowing of the horns of the ram's horns, his hearing became dull to the sound of the call. His hearing became dull to the sound of the assignment. Man, I'm preaching good this morning. The ram's horn, the shofar, bring that up here and just hold it. You don't have to blow it right now. Just hold it. The ram's horn and the the shofar, the trumpet, would sound, hold it up real high, Joseph, as an alarm to call people to high alert for repentance and spiritual activity, for assembling to victories, to celebration, and a unified battle. It would be blown uh, and the sound would be released for the anointing of kings and also warning when watchmen discerned enemies that were approaching. The ram's horn would be sounded and it was symbolic of spiritual aggressive strength and authority and it was calling people to repentance and dependence, hold it up, upon God. Every time you hear this young man get up here and blow this horn, you better understand the significance that is behind this, my friend. You better understand that this is not just to make noise in this room. It is not just to make another sound come forth. It is a sound of a rallying of unity. It is a sound of a rallying to spiritual activity and spiritual repentance. It is a sound of aggressive strength and authority that is calling the people of God to get out of their flesh and to come into dependence upon God. This is the sound that Achan was around. This is the sound that Achan was around. This is the sound that Achan was around. This is the sound. Sound. Sound that Achan was around. 
and he marched and he shouted and the walls came down my friend not because of Achan do you hear me do you hear me because in his heart it's a compartment that he had kept and he couldn't hear you see what do you mean Pastor Kim this is, thing is loud and it's like I'm not making fun I mean it just is it's a ram's horn come on y'all no, no, no. He heard the external sound, my friend. But he did not hear the internal rumblings of what that sound was supposed to do. Week after week after week, day after day after day, march around, march around, all the sound, all the sound, march around, march around, all the sound, all the sound until one day. The army gets ready to go forth to another threshold. Amid this intense atmosphere, Achan did not hear the horn of repentance. Achan did not hear discernment and spiritual activity. Why? He was near, but he was far. Stay with me. Stay with me. I'm going to summarize, but everything was supposed to be destroyed. If you don't mind, just hold it up a little bit longer. You can switch arms if you need to. <laughs> everything, y'all, was supposed to be destroyed as an offering to the Lord. And the Lord said, don't take anything because you'll be destroyed and you'll cause trouble for the rest of the people. Put that scripture up there. Don't take anything because you're going to be destroyed and you'll cause trouble for the rest of the people. It all belongs to the Lord. And then it, what does it say at the end of that scripture? And then the priests blew the trumpets. Battle, repentance, discernment, spiritual activity. Familiarity, my friends, causes muffled hearing and selective hearing. So familiar with the sound. So familiar with the sound. But it's muffled and it's selective. If I feel like it today, if I feel like it today, selective. And upon the crossing over, because the directives were ignored and compromises made, and his flesh was fulfilled, but it was revealed. Thank you, Joseph. Isaiah 30 says this. Look at me. Fresh start. You will hear a voice behind you saying, you should go this way. Here's the right way. The Holy Spirit is always telling you which way to go. But disobedience is muffling the leading of the Holy Spirit. You're in proximity of the sound, but there are internal sounds that are drowning out the sounds that are around you, the sounds of the horns. There are internal sounds that you are feeding, and no matter how loud it gets out here, what is on the inside is louder, which causes you to be near but very far. And this is my final point today, because all of this, my friend, leads to witchcraft. Rebellion revealed at the threshold. If not dealt with, 
Any reservations of the heart become witchcraft in the spirit. First Samuel 15, refusing to obey is as bad as the sin of sorcery. Being stubborn, being stubborn and doing what you want is like the sin of worshiping idols. You refuse to obey the Lord's command, so now he refuses to accept you as king, Saul. Amplified Bible for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness, doing what you want anyway. Just anyway, I'm just going to do what I want. But I looked apart. I looked apart. It's witchcraft, the Bible says. Everybody look at me. Pastor Kim didn't say it was witchcraft. The word of God says it's witchcraft. And so the prophet is saying this to the king, Saul, who chose his own way at the threshold of the battle. First Samuel 15, he says, now you gotta go and you gotta utterly strike. Now look, look at the language here. You go and smite Amalek. And what does this say? Look, utterly, utterly destroy. That is the same language as Achan's story. Y'all are an amazing audience today. That's the same language as Achan's story. Utterly destroy all that they have. Do not spare them. Kill both man and woman. I'll, I'll save some time and I'll read the whole thing. And then you go down into verse eight. But Saul took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. And then he spared uh, Agag and he spared the best of the sheep, the oxen, all the, all the stuff there. And then it goes on down and Samuel confronts him because Samuel was going from room to room to room until he got to the kitchen, until some things were moved and was open. And he said, when you were small in your own sight, you were not made the head of the tribes of Israel. And the Lord, he's, he's telling him the gripping reality of the destiny that God has put in his life. He says, the Lord has anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and told you to utterly destroy the sinners and the Amalekites, etc., etc. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but you, you swooped down upon the plunder and you did evil in the Lord's sight? And Samuel said, has, listen, has the Lord great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? If you don't understand that, does the Lord have delight in all of the external things as he does in obeying the voice of the Lord? Better to obey, obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of the realm, rams for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as idolatry. There are Christian churches meeting all over this nation and the nations of the world, but we'll just deal with America for a moment, that they won't even get out this verse and talk or preach about it because they're afraid somebody will not come back next week. Look, I'm not trying to be obnoxious, but I am trying to be truthful to you this morning and understand this is that just because there are those out there that are not saying things about this does not make it any less the truth of the word of God. Just because your favorite YouTube preacher does not talk about witchcraft and rebellion and 
as sorcery and just because does not mean that it is is not in the holy scripture and that we must apply ourselves up underneath the counsel of the lord understanding that on the day of judgment he will not say oh because your favorite youtube preacher didn't tell you this then i'll let you slide by because they had a hundred and ninety five thousand followers god is not going to say that he could care less about the followers he could care less about the popularity he is looking not only at your heart but at their heart near but far so ram's horns shouting directive spiritual atmospheres yet witchcraft witchcraft in the heart it's going to do what I want to do just want to do what I want to do You see, the barriers to revival can happen to the fullness of what it needs to be. We will continue to contend for greater levels of the presence of God in this revival. We believe that we are going to be moving into greater dynamics of the glory and the manifestation of His presence. We are ever learning. We are ever learning in seven years of this revival. But my friends, there will be a barrier erected to the fullness of this manifestation when we spare and do not spoil. Because our greatest responsibility is to help you fall in love with Jesus. I want you to stand all over this room this morning. The worship team to reverently come. Actually, I just want the, the keyboard player, hallelujah, who is sanctified in Holy Ghost field, to come for just a moment. And I'm going to ask for the media. TJ, I did not give prior notification to this. TJ and Matt, I need you to get your live stream people in here, your vMix people out here, your sound persons down here. Um, leave everything on autopilot. Um, if, if you have to run them alone, I need all of your working people to respond to this altar call today. <clears throat> We've learned how to cohabit with witchcraft in the church today, the church but God's presence is not going to share a space with that, my friend. Achan and his family died. Ananias and Sapphira died. Saul was stripped of the royal kingship. People suffered. A nation delayed in destiny because they were near, but not, they were near, but far. God will not be mocked, revivalist. The higher you go, the thinner the air. And snakes can't breathe up there. These are the moments when you see who goes to church and who is the church. These are the moments when you see who goes to church and who is the church. Man, we try to help pastors all over this nation the best that we can in birthing and building and sustaining revival. 
you my heart, my heart goes out to them, but my heart also goes out to the people. And my heart goes out to the people in this room today and those who chose not to come, watching online, whatever you're doing, my heart goes out to you. Because my highest responsibility is to get you to fall in love with Jesus. But it's very much proof that you have not when you've got all of this nonsense in your life. And you're acting out. Come on, I'm a mama. I'm a grandmama. I can talk like this. You're acting out. You're just acting out. It's not going to stand. It's not going to stand. And it certainly isn't going to fuel the next season of revival. Familiarity breeds contempt. A relaxed friendliness that identifies most of the church today. Relaxed friendliness. And pastors and leaders have been just as guilty. Prophets, prophets, apostles, evangelists. So they can keep their ministries running. They allow a relaxed friendliness. A relaxed friendliness. And what you have is you have people that go to church, but you have very few that are the church. And the paradigm and the modern definition of church is place we go, not who we are. With this perspective, there is no thought of cause, only comfort. Now let me pause here and say, if it is only a place I go, then it'll be there when I get back from whatever I choose to do. But when it is a cause, it goes with me wherever I go. A cause is something that I defend. A cause is something that I commit to, that I believe in, that I advocate for. I don't go to a cause, I live for a cause. But unless we make it past this near but far thing, it doesn't matter because the church has painted the cause, but they've allowed a relaxed friendliness with the one who is the cause. My friend, I'm not going to beg you to come to Flagstaff. You hear me now. I'm not going to beg you. The army will be there. The army will be there. Because if I have to beg you to do anything, be it Flagstaff, be it prayer, be it whatever, then what I have done is I have allowed you to maintain your relaxed friendliness with Jesus while doing all the external activities. Now, that does not negate the fact that there is standards, there's responsibilities. It's all throughout the Word of God. There's commandments that we obey. There's convictions that we respond to. But that, my friend, if that's the only thing that is driving you, if that's the only thing that is driving you, then the moment that Satan comes with the apple to trigger that passion and that lust and that thing on the inside of you, that pig that has not been dealt with, the moment you're out of here because all you do is go to church. You don't live for a cause. I'm radically, radically passionate, radically gripped by doing the things of the Lord. 
I'm radically gripped to do the things of the Lord because I'm radically gripped by the love of my Savior and my Lord. I just want to make it to heaven. Really? Just want to get into heaven. Many will call me Lord, Lord. And I will have to say. So, this needs to be said. Because a bad rap is being, to preach, being given to preachers like myself, which I'm fine with. And it's called legalism, called legalistic preachers. And we preach purity and holiness and repentance. And let me tell you why. Because we're trying to counter the comfort message with the cross and the cause message. The accusation of legalism is very strategic by the enemy. Oh, yes, it is. She's just legalistic. She's too hard on him. That's an easy, it's an easy accusation, my friend. You know why? It's an easy go-to because it excuses sin and justifies comfort by saying that any demand and any overreach and any extreme intrusion of my life is called legalism. Then you would not have liked Jesus, my friend. One more minute and we're going to come to the altar. In this modern perspective, one can casually approach church because it's only a place that I go. No sacrifice, no obedience required. But when it is who you are, my friend, it becomes a total sellout. Not a building, but a person. The church is called to refine and define not to us, not to cater to us. The reason why we gather is the cause, my friend. The reason why we go to Flagstaff this Saturday, this Friday, is the cause, my friend. It's not the building. It's not the preacher. It's the cause. I'm grieved at what the church has become. I'm grieved at what the five-fold ministry has become. It does not look like the days of old. And that very phrase right there grates some people the wrong way. When you say it does not look like the days of old. You listen to me, my friend. I'm not talking about old-fashioned. I'm talking about convictions. I'm talking about lack of compromise. Most importantly, it does not look like the Bible, much of it. There's many people that don't like it when a prophetic watchman message is gone forth where what they say you are downing the church. My friend, if we never draw the line, they will never know the difference. Jesus said that you shall be my witnesses. So many people get so excited about that. You get your Bible, you get your track, you go out in the streets and you're going to be witnesses. And that's part of it. But that's a very small part of it, my friend, because that word witness there means martyr. We need to have more evangelism, okay? You shall be my martyrs. That was the word of Jesus to the soon-to-be church. It's not a place we go. It's who we are. counterfeit perspective of the church has weakened the possibilities of the kingdom being established because Jesus knew that martyrs would come near any others would stay far 
And so what you're left with, my friends, and it will not be in this house on our watch, is you are left with a domesticated church, tamed, adapted from its wild, natural state to fit a domesticated life and definition. It's been brought to the level of ordinary, but the intention was extraordinary and that all else would be peripheral. We don't get church on our terms, you guys. So much out there is propagating. If it feels good, then that's right. That, my friend, means that you are near, afar. I invite you to come to this altar right now. Everyone, I want those who are behind the cameras, just put a wide shot. Those in the live stream room, those behind the soundboard, all the musicians, all the singers, except our amazing keyboard player. Hallelujah. Come with your hands lifted. No hype, no anything. Just sincere, broken hearts before the Lord. Broken in the sense that I am laid bare before the Lord. I want Jesus more than I want anything else. I want Jesus. I want intimacy with Jesus. I want you just to begin to talk to the Lord. I don't care how you do it. It can be soft. It can be loud. You can, we don't have a lot of room to walk around unless you're back in the chairs, but I, I, I just want you to be real before God right now. I just want you to be real before Jesus because this is the time that matters. This is the encounter that matters. Those of you watching on live stream, excuse us if the camera shots are not what they normally are, but we're calling everybody to this altar today. Those of you on live stream, stay with us. If the sound gets a little whatever in there, just, just stay with us. We're bringing all of our laborers and our workers in here. Now I want you just to open your heart and I want you to let the Holy Spirit begin to pull drawers and begin to move boxes and begin to move obstacles out of the way. I know everything that I have said has been very vivid and has been very, very, uh, 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 well, vivid. But I'm telling you, we've got to have that today. We've got to have it. Every part of our heart given to the Lord. Every part of our heart. God, we pray today in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would put a searchlight on the inside of us. And Lord, each one of us in this room right now, God, every one of us, we know where we are. We know where we're not. We know if we're near but far, Lord, we know. And Lord, we ask, we do, we ask that you would do what your word says. Search our heart, oh God. See if there be any wrong way in us. Lead us in the way everlasting. Create in us a clean heart, oh God. Create in us a clean heart, oh God. Renew a right spirit on the inside of us. God, forgive us if we have been coming near but living far, God. Forgive us if we have been listening and hearing the sound of the house, but we have not been obeying what that sound is for, oh God. Father, I pray, forgive us for crossing thresholds, oh God, as Achan did, but yet reserving a part of his heart for himself, oh God. Lift your voice, lift your hands, lift your cry to the Lord right now, because he's going to do the surgery on each one of us, and I am putting myself in this prayer this morning. We are putting all of us, all of us, we are putting ourselves in this prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask that you put your Holy Ghost searchlight. Lord, even as I saw that dishwasher in that dream, Lord, representing the cleansing of 
presence and power of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that that would happen in our hearts today and we repent of any known sin and even unknown, oh God, if that be possible in our lives, oh Lord. We repent of it today and we pray, purify and cleanse us, oh God. Oh Jesus, we come before you. God, laid open and bare, bare and broken before you. Come on, church, bare and broken. Brokenness in the sense of complete humility. Brokenness in the sense of complete abandonment to the Lord. Oh, Father, I pray that even in this atmosphere that you heal, God, hearts that have been damaged, oh Lord, even by things in their life, by the devil himself, by circumstances, God, heal them in this atmosphere. Come on, church, because hurting people do things that hurt. Come on, come on, come on. Oh, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for a healing wave to go across this congregation. And Lord God, I pray that you rise within us with the love and the grace and the fire of the Holy Spirit, oh God, that we need to rightly respond to the cultivation of the soil of our heart. Rightly respond to the cultivation of the soil of our hearts. Rightly respond to the cultivation of the soil of our hearts. Father, we pray that you would help us to increase. I pray that you put a gripping conviction on us in this atmosphere that when we leave this place, it is not just a place that we leave, but it is a person that we take with us, oh God. In the name of Jesus, I pray that you give us higher revelation of revival being that is not just a place we go or a thing that we do, but it is a cause that we answer, oh God. In the name of Jesus, grip us at the core of who we are. Oh God, grip us at the core of who we are. In the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, take the reins of our life. Holy Spirit, take the reins of our minds and our thought processes. We give everything to you today, God. Open the drawers. Move the things out of the way, God. Reveal to us all, oh God. Reveal to us everything, oh God. In the name of Jesus. Come on, come on. Come on, make your altar. Make your altar. Make your altar. Shabba, Mamani, and the Lada Mandorobo, Rubba, Mamoko, and the Lada Mashikatada, 
Oh, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. Come on, deal with it this morning. Deal with it this morning. Deal with it this morning. Lord, release a wave of holiness in this room right now, oh God. Come on, church. Come on, church. Lord, release a wave of holiness in this room right now. You are a holy God. Release a wave of holiness. Release, oh God. Oh, the fear of the Lord. Come on, come on. Release the fear of the Lord. Release the fear of the Lord in this place. Let us be gripped by the fear of the Lord. Jesus told the Pharisees that they were... The fear of the Lord had been taught by the commandments of men. I'm paraphrasing, may not be getting exactly right. Basically, they had only learned externally about the fear of the Lord, but it had not become an internal reality. I believe is what they were saying there. It's got to become an internal reality. My friend, if you do not fear the Lord, you will be able to cohabit with any sin in your life and not care a bit. And you can look the part but your heart is very far from God. The fear of the Lord means that I reverence His holiness and His person so much that I dare not displease Him. This, my friends, is not legalism. This is in love with Jesus, being in love with Jesus. I say to this house, I say to the church at large, I'm telling you, there must be a wave of holiness that visits the church in this nation. There must be a wave of holiness that grips the church in this nation. If we keep going in the trajectory that we are going, I'm telling you, it is not good, my friend. There must be a wave of holiness that set apartness, that consecration, where you know it's not just something that you look like. It is something that beats on the inside of you the very core of who you are. You see, one of the telling signs that possibly that is not in there or a part, has been a part of your heart has been reserved is that when external demands are put on you, hear the word of the Lord, is that there is an antagonism and a resistance pushed up. Look, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to be manipulative here, but you hear the word of the Lord. This is truth. This is truth. One of the signs that there is a part of your heart that has been reserved for you. Maybe you know it, maybe you don't know it. Maybe it's intentional or maybe it's just a spirit of fear that has gripped your life and you don't realize because that's how the enemy, he works through fear. Everything is filtered through fear from the enemy. 
And so when the external uh, commands of the Lord, maybe even the external demands of the church or revival begin to arise, all of a sudden there's an antagonism and there's an uneasiness and there's a, there's a, there's a, 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 a critiquing of that. Because somewhere in your heart, you're convinced that church is a place you go, but it's not who you are. Because I don't go to a cause, I live for a cause. So that's why I have little uh, patience, I guess, little with, with, with folks who are like, that's too much. That's too, you don't have to do all that. It doesn't take all that. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. You just don't get it. You shall be my martyrs. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the other parts of the earth. Martyrs. So I'm telling y'all, this is a serious situation. And it is heaven or it's hell. It's not just about pleasing Pastor Kim and Pastor Paul. Please, please, please. Because our highest responsibility is to help you fall in love with Jesus. For those of you who serve in this house week after week, and we are going to be holding our staff and our team even higher accountable. We have an amazing staff, very much a spirit-driven staff. They have answered the cause, the call to the cause. But we do our best to give you opportunity to be in the atmosphere without being distracted in any way. We do our best to do that. But I'm telling you, don't you die behind that camera. Don't you die shaking hands with somebody at the door. And you say equally to me, don't you die behind that platform, behind that pulpit. Don't you die, preacher, standing on that stage where so many are applauding you. Don't you die. Because it happens week after week after week after week after week that preachers are preaching, but they're dying on the inside because something in their heart has not been given to Jesus. Our highest responsibility is to help you fall in love with Jesus. We won't have to worry about anything else. We meaning all of us. If we just fall in love with Jesus. One more time, lift your hands and I'm going to let you go today. Father, I pray in this atmosphere, oh God, that you grip us to the core of who we are. Jesus, that when we leave this place, the thing that we will have on our mind is what measure am I at? 30, 60, 100. You give your spirit without measure, Jesus. I want to go for 100 because anything less is going to cause a breach, Lord. Anything less is going to cause a breach. And I decree and I declare, Father God, that in this room there are revivalists but at the core of a revivalist is a lover of Jesus. A lover of Jesus. A follower of the Holy Spirit. And a student of the Word of God. Grip us with this reality today. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on and give Jesus praise right now. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah. Jesus, we exalt you. Jesus, we worship you. Jesus, you are King. You are Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening in to the Fresh Start Church podcast, where we exist to influence a nation with revival. You can order Pastor Kim's book, Doorkeepers of Revival, at doorkeepersofrevival.com. And you can listen to Fresh Start Revival Worship on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you stream your music. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time.